Well, folks, loyal listeners, here we go again. Another episode of the We Have High Expectations podcast. And we're going to jump right into it. We obviously know why everyone's here. We're going to get right to it, talk the tournament, all the matchups, and uh, lead us off with some tourney talk. So, Drewski, I'll kick it over to you. What do you think? Yeah, let's jump right in, man. I mean, first, I want to say that. Um, having it back this year, like after it getting canceled last year and just having it back, right? This event, which is, you know, it's all of our favorite event. We all love this event, right? The unpredictability, the upsets, the, you know, the Cinderella's into the round of 16 round of eight, even like into the final four anymore, you know, and it's just so great to have this back. Um, so let's just jump right in. I mean, Couldn't let's start. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't let's, agree more. Let's start breaking down group number one. Who's going to tee off tomorrow? We got uh, Dustin Johnson, uh, uh, Kevin Na, Robert McIntyre, and Adam Long in group number one. They're down at the uh, the Austin Country Club uh, World Match Play Championships. Man, I mean, DJ, he's won it before. He's won it before. So I mean, he was tie. He was t forty eight last time. He didn't get out of the first round. So we'll have to see, but but group two is really where this gets interesting. Now, group two is Justin Thomas and then Louis Oosthuizen, who just ball strikes you to death in match play. Just <laughs> ball strikes you to death. And then hey. you got the Bulldog himself, Kevin Kisner and Matt Kuchar. I mean, that group, that's a group of death, Brad. Who's going to get out of that? Oh, hold on here. Hold on. Hold on here. I thought we were talking uh, Sweet 16, March Madness, NCAA tournament. I, 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 oh. what, what do you have? What do you oh. have? What, oh, what bracket are you looking at? We weren't we we weren't breaking down the world match play this week. WGC match play. Oh no, I mean, I said four best golfers in the world. And I said and, tournament. I'm talking NCAA's, baby. Oh, I mean, when you say brackets, I I mean, I, I get it. I get, okay. I, that's my mistake. I mean, that's that's my mistake. I I read the rundown wrong. Um, I'm gonna say everything I just said stands. I mean, this week, this week, Wednesday through Sunday, <laughs> great golf. Get out there and watch it. Um, I guess if you want to start there, I mean, I'm down. Kate, Kate, yeah. Well, let's start there. Caitlin Clark had 35 today. Um, you know, led the led led the Iowa women into their second straight Sweet 16. I mean, they get going up against Paige Buckner's and and UConn next uh, next Saturday or Sunday sometime. So that's pretty exciting. So yeah. So I guess well, we can break the women's tournament. That's all right. Yeah, we're getting closer. I mean, I'm thinking uh, I'm thinking Sweet 16. I'm thinking. Uh, pack. We're going to talk Pack Twelve. We're going to talk the the upsets, and and you start throwing out Louis Houston's ball striking. I'm like, what pack, the hell are we doing here? Pack what now? Pack Twelve. Yeah, you were you were sleeping on them literally. What what's what? what, what I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. There's was there an event I missed this week or? <laughs> Indianapolis. Uh, no, we've got to give Caitlin Clark a shout out. That was a one heck of a performance today, right? Incredible. That was incredible. The whole team just playing playing well right now. Peaking so, at the right times. But let's uh, enough yeah, of let's this. Jump in. Let's jump in. Sorry, everybody. I hope everybody had as much fun with that as I did. Uh, I know uh, my buddy Shane Bacalata is in the uh, Arizona State Penitentiary laughing at that one. So <laughs> Just bored. Uh, no, we've got to get back over to the men's side here and uh, the NCAA tournament. What? What? So this is the craziest uh, Sweet 16 we've ever had as far as uh, seeds. If you add up all the seeds, it's the highest uh, 
total seed. seed right? Yeah, yeah highest ever total five. seeds that have made it to the Sweet 16. I think 86 might have been the craziest uh, with Cleveland State and a bunch of others. But um, probably not to be surprising. Uh, obviously, the year was a little funky. Uh, not as much non-conference in the early season to, to get cross-conference play. So the computer rankings and the seedings might be a little bit goofy this year and then just with the setup and uh you know everyone playing in in indianapolis and the way it is not terribly surprising that there's been so much unpredictability but uh but but yeah what's your take on the on the first weekend of the real march madness it is good to have it back too yeah yeah that, that part i i was honest i was being honest about it, it was pretty awesome to have you know, it's it's COVID time, so people still aren't in the house, you know, but we did have, we were able to have, you know, seven, eight, nine people over on the deck with a couple TVs outside watching basketball and enjoying it again. It was a great time over here at the, uh, at the big city, uh, big city suburbs headquarter, uh, yeah. headquarters, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know, for me, the... I mean, the number one story's got to be the Pac-12, right? I mean, I said last week on the podcast that, like, I just didn't know anything about the Pac-12 other than basically Evan Moberly, right? Like, that's the only, like, person I would know. And they uh, they were just balls on fire out there, man. It was crazy. Undefeated in the first round. And then, yeah, Colorado and lost. Just, kill, uh... just killing people, too. Like, I mean, not just, like, I mean, you go through and look at this, like, you know, USC beats Drake by 16 and Kansas by 30. Oregon clips us by 15 and that wasn't even that close, right? Like uh, Oregon State beats Tennessee by 14 and Oklahoma State by 10. Col- or Colorado beats, you know, Georgetown by 30 or whatever it was. Like, I mean, they just, they, they hammered people. UCLA took down Abilene Christian by 20. I mean, come yeah, on. Like Abilene <laughs> Christian. So, I mean, there there are there are some small schools that are, you know, like there's Cinderella, like Oral Roberts is kind of fun to watch. They play basketball, right? Abilene Christian can get the fuck out of my tournament, man. Like, you're going to play basketball like that. Like, get out of here. Like, that was dis- – everybody was all excited about them beating Texas. I'm like, they won 53-52 on a couple free throws at the end of the game. That sounds terrible. I'm glad I went to bed. Yeah, like, money it up. It was not that exciting to watch, other than it was a close game. But uh, I think Texas had, like, 25 turnovers or something crazy, and Abilene Christian probably had 25 fouls. I don't know how many of those yeah. were called in the second half, but yeah, those are things I don't. That, those are games I don't really care to see anymore. But um, yeah, other, uh, you know, outside of the Pac-12, the other big story's got to be the Big Ten and Big 12, both kind of falling on their faces, right? Um, those were the top two conferences at Ken Palm, and you know, um, all year long, and they just weren't. I mean, they weren't very competitive. Big Ten got nine teams in, and uh, yeah, I think if you would have asked anybody in the college basketball world, us included, where I know we're a big part of it in this podcast, uh, whether yeah, how many Big Ten teams would have been left in the Sweet 16, nobody would have said one, right? I mean, everyone would have gone at least three, You're probably. Three. You're saying at least, at least three. You got three two plus. You got two ones and two twos. You're saying at least three, and then. You know, you're looking at Purdue was playing well coming into this. I liked Rutgers' draw, and if they would have, if they wouldn't have remembered they were Rutgers with three and a half minutes to go, they'd probably be in the Sweet 16 here. You right. know, but 
Um, even that, Michigan that, State, you know, even Michigan State's draw wasn't well. UCLA's in the Sweet Sixteen. Michigan State right. lost in overtime. I mean that they maybe could have made a run. It wasn't out of the realm of possibility uh, when well, the yeah, which, first came out. But like works out really well for me in the Gade Pool. Like I was checking out my my. Uh, I don't ever look at my bracket, you know. So I pulled it up today and I just see where I was and I was like, oh man, I did better than I thought I did. And I looked and I'm like, UCLA. I picked them into the into the Sweet Sixteen. It's like nice. oh. No, I picked Michigan State. It's just that you get to pick both of them. (laughs) In my head, I was like, yeah, Michigan State, that'll be BYU. And I'm like, "Ah, I think Michigan State will clip Texas, too. I think think Izzo will go on a run. (laughs) So then I get to look and I see UCLA there. And I'm like, oh, sweet. (laughs) So Play the game, yeah. I've actually, so I, I do two brackets. I do one, you know bracket and then i this year i did a second bracket where i had iowa win it all so that one obviously is uh out of it but my first bracket i've got all four of my final four teams left which uh we're we're not gonna do i mean i i'm sorry i started this but nobody gives a shit like like i mean i know i started it but mine was just kind of like to make the joke about being able to pick both teams you know in your bracket and (laughs) nobody cares the only thing people care the only thing people would care less about than the match play bracket breakdown is me talking about my game pool bracket or if you decided to break down your fantasy football team on here like then (laughs) i would just quit the podcast we would no longer if you were doing that we would no longer have high expectations (laughs) Yeah, so that's all. That's all I got to do to get like my Tuesday nights back. (laughs) 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 Our ten listeners would be devastated when the podcast goes away. I'm getting a lot of feedback from people that I didn't even know listen to the podcast, right? So I think this is. We keep plugging along here. We're gonna turn that, you know, two dollars and twelve cents into like, I don't know, maybe sixty, seventy dollars, and at that point, whoo. The sky's the limit. Oh yeah, the uh, anchor, uh, the anchor account to the moon, baby. Diamond hands, <laughs> diamond hands. Hey, so, but no, I I know we want to break down uh, the the Iowa Oregon game and and kind of what that means for Iowa. But before we get there, uh, looking at the Sweet Sixteen teams, I mean, who who. Now that we're down to 16, what's your uh, championship game prediction? It's it, it's it's got to still be Gonzaga, right? They both pretty impressive. It's it's Baylor Gonzaga. That you know Baylor and Gonzaga. I think I said this on a podcast earlier in the year. Um, ha- had separated themselves like tier wise. It was Baylor Gonzaga, and then there was like I would say there was seven, eight, nine teams kind of in that next tier, right? We, I thought it was seven, eight, nine teams. Turns out. <laughs> probably wrong there too and i'm kind of kicking myself because i pushed illinois up into that top three after their end of the season but you go back and look at illinois they got beat by maryland they got beat by Rutgers, they got beat by missouri so they got beat by teams in that eight nine seed seed range so it's not a shock that they got beat by an eight or nine seed whereas if baylor had got beat by an eight or nine seed or gonzaga had that would have been a shock to me or even michigan michigan hasn't gotten beat by a team like that other than they got clipped by michigan state at home um but right but uh, so for me, I think it's Gonzaga and Baylor. But I, you know, I, I think a couple other teams that really caught my attention is like how well I thought they played. I mean, USC like looked dynamite, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, they, they and they, and they kind of had everything. Whereas Oregon kind of has one one guy, one type of guy they're playing. Like USC had it all, man. They had guards. They had Mo, uh, Evan Moberly's a stud. His brother played well. Like I thought they were really good. Um, and then also. 
Um, I was impressed by Alabama. I mean, Nate Oates is a great story. You know, former high school coach just kind of coaches his way up. And I mean, they shoot the ball as well as anybody and they play strictly analytic basketball, right? They're going to shoot threes and take layups and that's basically it. And so they were, they were dynamite in their two games. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, I would I would throw Loyola in there. Yeah, as exactly. The Loyola-Oregon State game is going to be interesting, but I, um, I would throw Loyola in there as, I mean, they handled Georgia Tech with no problem. What a double, I mean, two double-digit wins against Georgia Tech and, yeah. and Illinois. Yeah, and no, Georgia uh, Tech didn't have Moses right. True, but, true. But they... And they well, shut down Illinois like yeah, we've they, not seen anybody do this year. Right, they, they played probably the best game a uh like a team like Loyola has and, and that's not fair to say I, I I should just say they just they played the best game against the number one seed in the second round I can remember like number one seeds get beat in the second round but they don't just get dominated right it I mean was, that game yeah, was never it was, it was never in doubt no like it was the 30 minute mark on it was 10 points or more the whole way you yeah know? they took over they, they took control yeah. at the beginning and, and like you said it was it was yeah, Illinois is going to get beat. Their, here, you know? their transition defense was outstanding. Their point guard just completely handled the game. You know, just I thought their point guard was their best player, and all he did was just handle pressure, get him in their sets, and I don't know if he scored a whole lot, but he dominated the game. He just he was great. And then obviously you throw in mustache and yeah, they were, they were yeah they were they were good. So Impressive. I I think I mean I. I they obviously can come to me. They're the final four favorite in that region with uh, Oregon state. You know, at some point, Oregon state's going to be a team that they're going to look like a team that was 14 and 14, right. Or whatever they were like, they're right around 500. Right. Yeah. So yeah. at some point they're going to look like that. Um, you know, and then you got Syracuse, which buddy Bayheim's just unconscious right now. Sometime that's got to come back to earth. And then I don't think Houston's that great. And especially when Jeru's hurt. Playing yeah. Hurt. I was just going to say, that bracket is kind of a mess. I mean, it is a mess. And then you got Houston, the two seed in there, which I would say is prob- is the weakest of the high seeds that are left. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Arkansas's looked better. Like you said, Alabama, um, Michigan, Gonzaga, Baylor, you know, of, of the ones and two seeds that are left, Houston's on the bottom end of that. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Loyola in another Final Four, which is just crazy. And then yeah. you think, it, we, um, what's that mean for Porter Mosier? I mean, he could have he could have left after our last run. You, if, I mean, he's, he's making he's making a million dollars a year right now, right, at Loyola. He's making a million bucks a year. Um, like, for me, he's in that position that Mark, Mark Few and – Greg Marshall before he, you know, hauled off and started like choking people and hitting people and doing <laughs> God knows what. Um, he's in that position where if, if they go back to a final four, and even if they don't go back to a final four, beating Illinois and getting the sweet 16, but if they go back to a final four and there's two out of three years, right? Like it's Gonzaga and Loyola are the new Gonzaga and Wichita state, which, and which are non power five schools that have to play their way out of the NCAA tournament. They're going to get the benefit of the doubt all the time, sure, right? Sure. They're not going to have to win the Missouri Valley ever. They're going to get the benefit of the doubt. And he's in Chicago, man. Like he is right there. And like, 
I think he could turn that into not not what Gonzaga is, but he could turn that into a just a top their top twenty five every year, and they're not going to get underseated again after going twice in in four years or in three years. They're just not going to get underseated again. So I think for me, I'm looking at it that way. Like, can they get his salary to a million five? You know, uh, uh, two two million, and stay there and just have that success versus trying to go to Indiana and trying to crawl your way to the top of the big 10. Right. Like, I, I don't know. I, to me, to me, taking a job in a conference that is undisputedly fourth, fifth, sixth best, I, I wouldn't leave Loyola for that. I'd leave Loyola for Kentucky, for Louisville, for Duke, for Carolina, for Kansas, for, you know, for one of yeah. those, yeah. like that, that's what, that's what I'm, that, that's how I would look at it when you're in a position where he's going to have a statue at that school. Right. Be, so be picky. It, it, it kind of reminds me as you were talking, it kind of reminds me of when Shaka smart was at VCU. And I know, you know, he wasn't necessarily the one that, that started uh, VCU when they made a few of those runs, but he had opportunities to go to Illinois and to go others. And he waited until Texas opened up. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so um, he might not have waited long enough. Right. He might yeah. Have right. Exactly. <laughs> So, but yeah, that's a good point. I know that, what's yeah. I think, but at the end of the day, three three million dollars from somebody's going to talk too. You know, like I mean, it's three million dollars. Like, who yeah, to do. And he went. He so he played at Creighton as well. So I, you know, I I think the draw for Indiana would be if he's a if he's a Midwest guy. Um, but to your point, and, and we talked about this last podcast too. I'm not so sure how good of a job Indiana is. I mean, the best thing about the Indiana job for whoever jumps in there is you're, you know, you're not following a legend, but you could have said that for the last couple of guys. Last in a while. Right. Yeah. My biggest thing with the Indiana job right now that would concern me is that they came out and said that, uh, that a donor put up the money for the buyout, right? One donor put up the money oh, for yeah. the buyout. And, and then another one will put up the money for the other buyout. So at that point, you don't work for the AD anymore. The AD, the AD is not in charge. He's not working for the president. He's working for, he's working for whatever donor comes in the next time and says, "Here's fifteen million dollars. I want that coach fired." Right? Yeah. Like, so to me, you know, I, I was, I, you know, I thought the, like, I thought the Archie Miller time had probably come and gone. Right? Like, I thought that was that was fine to let him go, but I would be nervous of that as a coach. And I'd also be nervous that Archie was seen as can't miss and he missed, right? I'd be like, eh, like what's, so what's, what, what's the underlying issue in that program um, that, that even Archie couldn't do it. So, so yeah, I don't know. We, uh, I, I, if I was, if, if it was me and I was Porter Moser, I'd stay where I have it rolling. I'd look at Don Munson as a caution, cautionary tale. Right. Yeah. Like, there's, a, the well, guy, there's a lot of those as well. Yeah. Right. The guy, but the guy that left a place that turned into a, turned into a top 10 basketball job, I think Illinois Chicago in the Missouri Valley, instead of the horizon league, like I think they can rise up enough in the Missouri Valley to be a top 20 basketball program in, in the city of Chicago. They could be what everybody claimed DePaul could, what, you know, was a, DePaul was a sleeping giant. DePaul's a sleeping giant. Well, DePaul is the 10th best job in the league. So they're never going to be it. Right. Where somehow oil is the best job in the Missouri Valley after being in it for two years. Yeah, three, exactly. So I, I, I would stay, but that's, yeah. I'm pretty sure you said Illinois, Chicago in there instead of Loyola. Oh, so my bad. Well, that's Jimmy, probably, maybe that's why Jimmy Collins is Jimmy Collins. My boy, my boy, my boy, my uh, boy, Luke Yaklich is the head coach there now. Yeah. 
Well, Jimmy Collins is dead, right? Oh, so, yeah, he's not the coach there anymore. Yeah, he's definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's laugh about that. Oh, that dead. Yeah, let's take a turn. So, anything else on the Sweet 16? (laughs) And then listen to that transition. So, anything else else on the Sweet 16 before we... Do you you kind of feel like Michigan's flying under the radar as a one seed? Like... Yeah, no, I I do. I think, uh, I mean... LSU was is a pretty tough eight seed, I feel like. Especially when you see how Arkansas and Alabama are playing. Um kind of like running into Oregon as a seven seed, but, uh, but yeah, we'll see Michigan, Florida state should be a good game. Um, but, but yeah, I think Michigan's under the radar because the other eight big 10 teams are gone well, I mean, and looked so poorly that Michigan's now how good is Michigan really when Illinois is out and Ohio state and Iowa are out, you know? Yeah. Um, hey, but hey, I think and and you have Isaiah Livers is out, you know. So yeah, and they've got an injury, yeah. Yeah. So to, for me, I was kind of I almost looked at that as like I thought LSU might be borderline favored with without without uh, Livers from Michigan. I mean, because LSU does have the best players money can buy. So that's true. I mean, but literally, yeah. Like yeah. What we say, they're like the they're like the Western U uh, of college basketball. I just, I just like, I'm watching that game the other day, and like Javante Smart comes down and hits a shot, and I'm just and they show Will Wade on the sideline, and I'm just like, what? Like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. like there's a guy going to jail for like a bribery scandal and that and part of the evidence in the federal trial was will wade on a freaking wiretap saying i made a strong ass offer for javante smart and we got them both like right you know and it's like and if javante smart got a hundred thousand dollars what the hell did camp thomas get what the hell did yeah, trent, oh, yeah, but... what the hell did trenton wofford get what did naz reed get you know a couple years ago it's just like good lord man like what are we doing there goes so, will wade going to the cash machine yeah, so I mean, like Javante Smart was like maybe the third best guy in that class with, uh, um, and he got a hundred thousand dollars. Like, what did the other two guys get? You know. Yeah. So we're just we're just supposed to believe Naz Reed, just growing up in Newark, New Jersey, just always wanted to play for LSU. You know, like. <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, so that's that's kind of the downside of it. But yeah, let's. I, you know, I think I think we're heading. To, I think we're heading to Gonzaga Baylor, right? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, Gonzaga Creighton, you got Gonzaga USC or a Gonzaga Oregon matchup it could be, be fun. fun to win yeah. the West. Yeah, that'll be and fun. And then uh, Baylor's got what? Uh, Baylor Arkansas uh, would be fun. Yeah, well, that that means Arkansas is getting past the second fifteen seed. Oral Roberts, That's a rich boy, Oral Roberts. So, a rich history. Rich history here. So we, Brad and I were talking about this the other day after the Oral Roberts-Florida game. Uh, I, I did some deep dive into Oral Roberts the person. Um, Oral Roberts once like, was on TV as a televangelist. He was on TV and said if he did not raise $8.5 million in the next, I think it was like month, that God was going to call him home. <laughs> God was going to kill him if they didn't raise eight, if people didn't send him $8.5 million. Like, it's just unbelievable. Well, and luckily for him, they did end up raising like yeah. nine or 10 million. He, so he lived in 91. He lived for 23 <laughs> he had, years after that. Yeah, some years left. 
So here's the here's the other one. This is the best cow like this. I, this was in the New York Times actually. This was in a New York Times article about Moses Malone. It is the greatest recruiting story of all time because we, we you know we just talked about Javante Smart and you know we got Deion Thomas with weird, the Blazers. Yeah. We had Deion Thomas with you know a Chevy Trailblazer and all you know somebody's getting a house or whatever it might be, right? So Oral Roberts, the the founder of the university in Tulsa, Oklahoma, goes to D.C. Sits in Moses Malone's mother's living room and tells her that he will have God heal her ulcers, but only if Moses comes to Oral Roberts and plays basketball. <laughs> like it's gotta be the greatest recruiting story of all time. Like, can you imagine sitting in a like the pressure on Moses? Moses, I got these ulcers. This guy's only gonna do it if you go get double doubles for his school in Tulsa. <laughs> <laughs> Like what in the world? So, and this is a man of God. This is, you know, like come on. So we're taking the whole university is founded uh, on, and yeah, they're in the Sweet Sixteen, man. So you know, and they're fun. They're fun to watch too. They're they're a fun fifteen seed. You know, they got that that guy's the leading scorer in the country. That guard. Uh, yeah. Eight, oh yeah. And then the other big. Guys, yeah. So yeah, they're fun, but they're not going to beat Arkansas. I mean, it, when when you play fast. And the team you're playing against has better talent and also plays fast. Uh, it's trouble, um, you know. Pretty so. good, uh, pretty good segue into uh, Iowa, Oregon. Yeah, uh, we want to talk about the Hawkeyes and break down uh, another, unfortunately, round of 32 loss for uh, Fran and the Hawkeyes. One and eleven in the second round since 1989. I will, but what? How many of those? I thought I saw how many of those. There's only like two, maybe three of those matchups where we were the higher seed. I mean, yeah, there's not very many. We're always kind of in that seven, eight, nine, ten range, which usually means you have a tough matchup uh, with a one or two seed. Um, But yeah, still disappointing. I don't know. You know, the Iowa fan base is an interesting fan base. So of course there's a lot of anger and a lot of people flying off the handle. I would say my reaction was more just kind of, my reaction was more just like sadness that this, I thought this was the year we were, I mean, you know, I picked Iowa to win it all. Of course, not actually expecting that making the final four would have been a stretch, but I thought we'd be in the sweet 16 at least, right? Playing in the yeah, second I weekend that's and that's fair. three or I, four games to watch. But, you know, I'm a, like, I, I'm with you. I, I didn't, I, I usually don't freak out over end of the season games, right? I, I have my moments during the season and that's because, for me, we place way too much emphasis on your season's a success or a failure based on 40 minutes in the second round of the NCAA tournament, right? Like if we're going to – this is how Iowa basketball ended up in the in the in, in college basketball desert, right? We were chasing results in a single elimination tournament when we let go of Tom Davis and, and brought in Steve Alford. And we're just ch- – you, you can't chase results in a single elimination tournament. So I think Fran has done a really nice job of building a foundation of we're, you know, top half of the Big Ten. And we're going to get into some things here that, to me, make it crazy that we're even in that place, right? He's built kind of a top 30 type program at Iowa. Um, And when you look at who he's got recruiting wise, right, it's nuts to me that he's been able to do that. And the, the counter argument to that is, well, Fran recruits the players, so recruit better players, right? So um, to me, it was 
what hit me real hard, just focusing on this game a little bit before we get into the bigger picture, you know, where we are, where we're going type thing. Like I was like kind of shocked how, how hard it hit me watching Luca Garza. Like when Tony Perkins grabbed him on the floor and gave him a hug before he walked off, I was just like, man, that's like, this kind of hit me, you know? And, um, I was trying to think back to the Bruner Horner team, you know, like I know those guys and, like I didn't have that feeling then probably because that ended on a last second shot and you were just stunned. Right. But this one was, you know, you're kind of getting over the game cause you know how it's going to end. And then you see Luca come out and it just, it was like, man, this sucks. He's, we're never going to get to see him play for Iowa again. And yes, yeah. I always make the, you know, um, when you get blown out like that, uh, you know, this is maybe not a, in good taste joke but when you get blown out like that like you go through the during like the second half you go through like your first few stages of grief right you know and so by the end of the game it's almost like acceptance yeah where the northwestern state loss was just completely different because it was like the whole second half i'm looking at who do we play second round and we're going to win and then all of a sudden it's like a huge shock at the end and so you're the way you process those is completely different as a fan, but um, I'm with you. I mean, Luca Garza is probably the best Hawkeye ever. Like we've talked about. I mean, um, he's the most decorated and the most accomplished. And you know, he's 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 not the most. If you just said who is the strictly best talent, best basketball player ever at the university, right? Yeah, and I think that's why that. But you can say he is. Well, I think you can actually say he is the best basketball player because he is the most decorated player, right? He's not the most talented guy that's ever played at Iowa. He's not the best athlete by far, but that. But part of that's kind of the reason why I feel like he's so respected and well liked too. Like you know, we remember watching him as a freshman and watching him labor to get up and down the floor and like the work that he put in. Now you know he didn't get locked in a, a gym like an Aaron White did back in the day. But the work that he put in, you know, I mean, us in the Midwest and Iowans, we kind of pride ourselves and like to think we do that too, you know. Yeah, um, that Midwest and Iowa bullshit. <laughs> Love it or leave it, baby. Nobody works hard in California. Uh, well, but there are no, a shit ton I, of farmers out there too working their asses off. Yeah, no, and I uh, – <laughs> Okay, that's a whole podcast. Whole other podcast. Yeah, whole other podcast. We should save that for another podcast. I did we'll a research we'll do that. on we'll, college. We'll do that podcast later on this. But time. anyways, um, you know, just because and, and some of that too is expectations when they come in. You know, you think of like the top recruit and you think of like Ricky Davis or something. His mm-hmm. expectations were through the roof from day one, where Garza part of the reason Garza's story is so awesome is because like last year as a junior, you're just like, dude, this guy's freaking unstoppable. And who would have ever seen that coming? Yeah. You know? Oh, it's nuts. I mean, so like, let's, uh, do you want to talk, so much, do you want to talk much about, uh, about the actual game? Like, I mean, everybody's seen it. It's we're a day after like, do we, I mean, other than like, we just, you, the zone defense can just, just needs to be taken out behind a woodshed and you know old yellard like i mean I, yeah i will say this i mean obviously it's everybody knew going in that defense was our achilles heel if you will or it was going to be it, if we were going to lose in the tournament it was going to be because we couldn't stop anybody which is what happened but 
I mean, it was going to be uh, one, you know, first team to 100 wins, but we were hanging right there with them and actually had the lead at the under four timeout in the first half and then went to that zone and boom, 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 three we, pointers back to back and then game over. You know, so we're down we were, at half. So we were in that zone for a little bit when we got to that lead, when we had Tucson and Perkins in, Tony made that three in the corner. Those guys are just, they, they move faster in the zone, right? And our zone, it's just, there's no ball pressure in it. Guys don't know where they're supposed to be. Um, we end up like all the time with a, a cutter, you know, a guy cuts through and three guys point to him and then we pass it to him and three guys go to him and it's a pass. I mean, you can see the pass to the corner coming three passes before, you know, and you just know this guy's going to get a wide open three. So to me, I think, I, I don't know this for sure because I'm obviously not a coach on that team, but I think Fran got a little concerned about potentially some guys picking up maybe a second foul right before the half and went to that and stayed in the zone longer than maybe he should have. And, you know, when once we had a group of Bohannon and Wieskamp and Frederick back out there, they just don't play that zone very well. And, and you know, we took a couple bad shots on the offensive end. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden we're down 10 at halftime and it's like, well, this is over. Like, I don't, we can't get back from it because we can't string together enough stops. And then when right. we did get into the second half and we did play Perkins and Keegan and Patrick and Toussaint, we got four or five stops in a row. Right. But then you come down the other end of the floor and now Toussaint's trying to make a play that he's just not capable of making right now. He's going way too fast still, you know, sometimes he looks great. Other times he looks like he can't play. Right. And then the kick out from Garza is to Keegan Murray, a 29% shooter, instead of C.J. Frederick, a 48% shooter. Right. If C.J. would have shot it, which who knows, he probably would have pump faked. But, um, you know, that's a whole other thing that we're going to talk about a little bit, too, in some of the research I did. But, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, the Achilles heel is not just defense for us. It's guard quickness. And you could see in the way they played kind of that matchup zone switch everything defense because they were all 6-6. Jordan couldn't get a shot. Right. No, no. It didn't matter where he went. He wasn't getting a shot. He wasn't driving past somebody. He wasn't going to get an open three off a dribble handoff off of the screen because they were switching everything. And, you know, guard quickness got us. Yeah, no, I know. And it, it I, th- I told you this, too. It kind of reminded me of the game last year up in Michigan where Garza got like 40 mm-hmm. and we still lost. You know, we lost like 100 right. to 90 like, or like 10. Yeah, we lost yeah 10. it was close. And even the studio guys, even at the start, before the game even started, like Barkley and Kenny Smith and Andy Katz were talking about, like, that's probably the way you beat us is just Garza's going to get his, let him get his, especially when you're Oregon and you don't start a guy over 6'6". Six, six. Like, yeah, you're just, not going to stop him anyway. Like, just yeah. let Garza get his and guard the shooters, uh, you know, because once we start doubling and tripling inside, then he can kick it out to, to shooters. And last time I checked, three's worth more than two. Yeah, well, and that—that's what got—that's what got us, right? Is that at yeah. the end of the day, like we were playing right with him, and Garza's got twenty at half, right, or whatever he had, and you got that little four-point lead, and then all of a sudden they're not just taking contested twos and making tough twos. I mean, they banked in a three, they made some tough twos, they did have their open, you know, their open dunks and whatnot, but they're making some tough twos. Well, now you go to that zone and those tough twos now become wide open threes. And so not only are they making them right, it's they're making them in bunches and now you're chasing and now you don't feel like you can just keep pounding it into Garza. You need to get, and all of a sudden your guys are playing and in a tournament atmosphere. It just, it snowballs on you right now. You're trying to, you're trying to make a six point shot and there's no six point shot. Right. And, and yeah, so they, it just, it's, it's one of those things. And 
Um, and, uh, and I want to go back to my, my I want to go back to my first point where I said a six like, point shot. I was just going to say real quick, we needed Bill Bellamy to drop that ten point basket <laughs> like Rock and Jack uh, to get back in it. But um, but yeah, where where do you want to you know where where well, do things go from here? Just, I want to take a step back and let's all relax and let's not you know I, I'm not freaking out. We're still the last couple of years here. We've been a top twenty five team. Mm-hmm. The thing that sucks is with no tournament last year, it sure would have been nice. We would have maybe we would have probably been in that five, six seed range. It would have been nice to give this group, this core, a couple runs at the Sweet mm-hmm. Sixteen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that puts so much pressure on. Right, on everything this for game two years yesterday. came down to one game. Yesterday. Yeah, everything that built two for years. two years down to that game, um, and and that's unfair. Um, that that doesn't make the last two years a failure. They did not underperform. I see people saying that. Fran underperformed his talent this year. And it's like, no, he didn't like, he did not underperform his talent this year. You know, the talent on this team is Luca Garza and Joe Wieskamp. And then it's a bunch of guys, right. And it's, and, and those guys can either be playing great and Bohannon played great down the stretch of the year. He played, had a bad game there. It was a bad matchup for him, but he played great down the stretch when we were winning a lot of those games, you know, but at the end of the day, Bohannon is a, he, while he has great numbers, he's a little bit of a compiler at Iowa, right? Like he's a very good player, but he's not a guy that's going to win you games by himself or get shots by himself against the highest level competition, right? Like he can beat, he can have those games where he beats Indiana, where he beats Wisconsin, where he beats Northwestern. But when it comes to, you know, Tennessee a couple years ago or, uh, or, or, or this Oregon team, like he's just, he's just not on that level and that's fine. Right. He was the 300 some recruit in the, in the nation coming out of high school. Like he's had an incredible career and you know, we shouldn't remember him for this game. And I don't think people will, I think once we get further away from this team, I think people will understand it was a successful team. The thing that sucks is they don't have that one thing to hang their hat on to come back and have a reunion 15 years from now. Right. Like it's not the 2016 that can come back because they were the big 10 tournament champions or the 80 team for the final four, or even the 87 team for the elite eight. Right. Like it just doesn't have those things. So, um, so yeah, it's a bummer, but I don't think it's a failure. And like you said, I think it's unfair to put all of that on one 40 minute basketball game. Yeah. It's, it's tough enough. I mean, it's unfair to do that any year but especially this one like i said where it's like two full seasons basically come down to this tournament you know for Mm -hmm. for the iowa team anyways because it's the same group all coming back and garza and came back uh specifically for this really right i mean he came back to to try to win the big 10 and make a run in the ncaa tournament so um but you can't fault him and like you said Bohannon, I would throw CJ in that. I mean, CJ Frederick had some games. This year, he had some injuries. Keegan Murray had some games where he was fantastic. Other games where, you know, he's just a guy, to use your term. Um, But we'll we'll see. I will say I was impressed with Patrick McCaffrey the last couple couple games. games. I mean, he looked looked the part against Oregon and uh, on the offensive side anyways. Uh, He's got to get a lot. He's got to get better on defense. And that's... That's kind of what that'll lead me into what you know, who doesn't who on the team doesn't. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I agree. Um, it's a, to me, it's a defensive awareness issue, too, that doesn't make sense for the amount of basketball these guys play. Sometimes you're looking at them, you're like, well, what are you, what are you doing? Like why? You know, Connor the other day, uh, Amarori or whatever is kind of like backing down Garza, but he's 14 feet from the basket. 
And Connor just completely loses track of his man, kind of like almost doubles, but not really. And the guy back cuts him for a dunk. And it's like, where, where the hell are you going? Like that guy, I mean, if that guy makes a turnaround 18 footer, he makes a turnaround 18 footer. Like who cares? Yeah. You know, and I think in the back of their heads, they all know they're bad at defense. Right. So I think they're looking kind of for the easy way out. Like, okay, I can make this play. I can go get that steal instead of I'm going to trust Luca Garza to make that guy make a tough shot. I'm going to stay on my man and make sure that I don't get back cut for a dunk and don't look like a dipshit on national television and have Charles Barkley after the game be like, Ooh, that wasn't good defense, you know, or whatever Charles <laughs> yeah. says that, you know, passes his analysis these days. Um, Cause he doesn't have a clue who anybody is. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, let's, let's just, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, where we are here and where we're going. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think let's, you know, let's uh, break it down. So here's the last Here's Fran after – this is the computer rankings for Fran, Kempom rankings after the first two years, okay? Yep, I was just looking so, at that too, yeah. 29, 22, 23, 23, 71, 88, 37, 23, and 6. Yeah, so that's where more times than not – you got to take those first two years out because – No, 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 I did. The 80 Because the first year was no. 88 and the second was 101. But Yeah, I'm just providing further clarification oh. for our listeners here. My bad, my bad, my bad. If the folks – you know, the folks remember there was uh, Todd Lickletter who came and set fire to the entire program and stole a lot of money from the university. He was a criminal. Was a criminal. <laughs> but, but, yeah, you look at that and um, – you know, outside of those two years, 2017, 2018, that were maybe rebuilding years, or you'll probably tell tell us uh, there were a couple of off years recruiting wise. Mm-hmm. But we're that's where I said we're we're a top 25 program, right? Um, pretty consistently over Fran's tenure. So um, look at look look. So the, you got those numbers there, right? So that's um, six to, six in the top 30, seven in the top. Uh, 40, and then you got the two, the 71 and the 88, right, where we fell back a little bit. But you go to the recruiting rankings. This is just from year one on, 67, 71, 31, 138, 77, 79, 39, 57, 67, 63, 60, 86. So obviously we are way outperforming the recruit the recruiting rankings on this, right? So Fran is one, he's doing one of two things. He's spotting guys and has an eye for talent that other people aren't seeing. Right. Or two, he's developing the talent. Right. And to me, that's, they're, they're, they run together. Right. He sees a guy like Gabe Olashaney and says, okay, turn him into a six man of the year in the big 10. Right. He sees a guy like Aaron white and turns him into the, you know, now the number three all-time leading scorer in the school. He sees, you know, so he sees Peter Jock. He sees Peter Jock coming off an injury and signs him before his senior season where I'm sitting here in Des Moines going, what? Like, he averaged like eight points a game last year at Valley. He's broke, you know, and then you see Pete Jock play the first three games of his senior year at Valley and just go, oh, never mind. His frame was right, you know, so – so, it's a little bit of both. I mean, he sees a Luca Garza and, and develops him into, into National Player of the Year, and then but then he also sees Keegan Murray, which same reaction. Oh what, yeah. What are we doing? Everybody was was what are we doing with scholarships there? And thank God, you know, I mean he he sees something in Keegan Murray that nobody else saw. Um, so I. It's reminds me a little bit on the, of the football program as well. I mean, it's a develop, it's a developmental program where you're not getting the blue star, five star recruits, but we've got five star men. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so bad. So bad. So that that leads me to kind of my my next point here where you're talking about the development, right? Yeah. Can you do that and succeed at the highest level in college basketball anymore? Can you be a developmental program and not be the type of, you know, Dana Altman, right? He's got five transfers on that team, right? Yeah. You know, uh, you know USC uh, as well. They got some got bunch, They got a bunch of transfers. Yeah, like, a bunch of transfers. You know, um, so can you, I don't know if going forward, if you can be successful strictly saying we're going to recruit high school kids and develop them, I think you kind of have to take the approach of we, we, we need to be able to go fill positions. We need to be able to go play in this transfer market and get some people. Um, and if we can't do that this year, I think we're going to be in trouble next year. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of young talent on this team, but that's the talent is us watching them play in these games. Right. And saying, Oh, that guy's pretty good. Well, all Tony Perkins has to do is just like not trip over his dick and, you know, we're we're going to say, oh, that was that was impressive. Right. Because he's the 11th guy on the team or the 10th guy on the team. Right. All Keegan Murray has to do is go out there and be an athlete. Right. Block a he shot. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't have to. You know, if he does something stupid and misses it, we just go, oh, he's a freshman. Right. You know, yeah. like because and there's no. He shoots 30 percent from three and we're yeah. satisfied with it because we've got, uh, you know, four guys that shoot lights out for three. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. So what, what does that look like when you take that next step and you're that person that, that needs to play? Here's, here's something that's interesting to me on the Kempom stuff. Um, so Adam Woodbury comes in on the, I think Woodbury came in on the, uh, the 2012, 2013 team, Adam Woodbury and Mike Gazelle, that's that class, right? So the year before, the defensive rating was 205. The next year, it was 24, then 77, then 34, then 30, right? So to me, I'm looking at that, and I'm going, those those four years are so far out. Like, they are outliers compared to what happened before, 205, and then after, 123, 242, 111, 97, 74, right? So – what happened in those in what what did we have in those four years that allowed us to be more efficient on defense than we are now? And to me, it's it, it comes down to while Mike Gasell wasn't a very good offensive point guard, he's pretty good defensive point guard, right? And yeah. Adam Woodbury, while not a a threat to score basically ever on offense, right? He's great defensive center, and so we've kind of and- we've. And a guy behind Woodbury that you mentioned, Big O, Olasani, came in and he, yeah, he was a rim protector. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, so we've, we had those things that we do not have, that we haven't had, we haven't had the lead guard since that could stay in front of somebody, right? We haven't had the, the, as good as Luca is, he struggles when you put him in ball screens and you make him move on defense, right? Um, and as good as he is at everything else, that's just something he's going to struggle with. And I think in the NBA, they'll scheme around it, right? They'll decide how they want to play it and they'll scheme around it and it'll be fine. I think he'll, I think, I do think Luca Garza is going to play in the NBA now. I've, I've changed my mind on that, but, um, but yeah, so that's to me, like, can we get, can we figure out a way with these guys? They don't have to be as good. Like Keegan doesn't have to score 20 points a game. He could score, you know, Tony Perkins doesn't have to shoot 45% from three. Can they be can they be good enough on offense? Because for, you go down and look at that list. I mean, Fran's worst offense in the last 10 years was 43rd, right? 
Um, most of them are in the top 20, you know. So if you, if we end up in the top 30 in offense, do those guys that I talked about, do they create a good enough defense to get that defense number up into the top 30 or 40? And then you're right in there as a top 25 Kempom team. You're looking at an NCAA tournament berth again. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm looking at for, for next year. Can just taking Bohannon and Garza off of your defense improve your defense right away? Yeah. I don't know. Joe T and hopefully Ulyss didn't get to see much of Aaron Ulyss, but, but uh, Toussaint and Ulyss, um, I would say, are, you know, pretty comfortably are better, uh, better defenders than Bohannon or Connor, right? Um, right. But the thing, the question then is, is where you got Jack Nunji, if he can come back, who's going to be, who's going to be that guy inside? I mean, I think you, I think you look at what Oregon does and you potentially go small. Yeah. I mean, you got the Murrays, you got Patrick McCaffrey, six, nine, um, you know, like I, I, I am not counting on Jack Nunji. I am not counting on Connor McCaffrey because if he's going to have both surgery on both hips, I just don't. I cannot believe that he'll be ready to go by the start of next year. And right. honestly, I'm not counting a whole lot on CJ Frederick. He's, he's been hurt way too much, you know, and, and anything we, and there's some rumors about him and potentially going to Kentucky uh, as well, which I, you know, I feel like are a lot of like the Tyler cook, Missouri stuff a few years ago. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Just like that Tyler cook thing never made sense. I don't know where that's coming from. Yeah, it's coming Other- from Kentucky sports radio, uh, Matt yeah. Jones, Kentucky sports radio. Um, but I, I just don't see it. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm going to go through some recruiting rankings here for you for individual players. And just cause, uh, this is, this is pretty eye opening, And I think where Fran has actually failed, um, uh, and, and I think he would be the first one to tell you that too, if, if, if he was being honest. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I can count on those three guys. I think, and that's why I think you got to be very active in the grad transfer market or in the transfer market and see if you can catch a guy that, you know, like, uh, Xavier Pinson from Florida or from Missouri's in the transfer portal, like maybe somebody like that, like they're not going to get Walker Kessler from Carolina like that, that ain't happening. Um, uh, but maybe they could catch, you know, Xavier Johnson from Pitt or something like that, that maybe they can get somebody that can provide some defense, provide some scoring and maybe provide just some interior defense. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully they're active. I mean, the transfer portal activity is going to be a, uh, even more off the charts this year because mm-hmm. of the, the COVID rules. Um, but yeah, you look at, I mean, you look at the teams that are having success in this year's NCAA tournament, like you said, uh, and the yeah. Pac-12, and they're, they, you know, they, they've got a couple of key recruits, and then they're filling their roster with mm-hmm. transfers, man. I Baylor's mean, got and, transfers. Gonzaga's got transfers. Arkansas's got transfers. USC, you talked about. Um, uh, Oregon. Oregon, you talked about. Uh, I'm sure Oregon, Oregon State does. I know they do because their yeah. best player, I think, was at Oklahoma State. Houston's got transfers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you got to you gotta at least be able to get a guy, and it, the guy's got to be better than Bakari Evelyn. Right. I was going to say, we've done it before, but it was Bakari Evelyn. Yeah. yeah, so we'll see Which, I mean, if they, if they he, go that route. He wasn't good last year, but thank God they got him because he, you know, he would at least stabilize some things when Toussaint would lose his mind. So, yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, I want to go through this real quick before I know we're, we're running a little long here, but this is the last piece of uh, research I did. And I sent this to you and uh, to dad and Moe's. Crunching uh, the numbers. Um, 
So Fran has brought in 20 guards. He's signed 20 guards in his time at Iowa. Two have been top 150. Mike Gasell and Joe Wieskamp. Only three other ones have been top 200. Ulyss, Connor, and I can't remember the third one. Do you remember who I said the other one was? Josh Oglesby. That's why I couldn't remember it. Yeah, Oglesby. Oglesby. Yep, exactly. So, so yeah. So, I mean, we're talking a quarter of his guard signees have been top 200 players in their class. And I guarantee you, you go look at the team still in this NCAA tournament for the most part, their guards are going to be ranked higher than that. They just are. Like, it's it, you can't. Fran and Fran's taken the Devin Marble and a Pete Jock and turned them into all Big Ten players. Taking Bryce Cartwright, turned him into a pretty good Big Ten player. Um, you know, Anthony Clements turned into a starter, right? Jaybo, we talked about him, right? So you, he he has he has a track record where he can turn some of those lower rated guys into very very high uh, highly useful players. But some of these guys, you know, 2014 Trey Elling, uh, Trey Dickinson and Brady Ellingson. 2015, Isaiah Moss, Andrew Fleming, Christian Williams, you know, Brandon Hutton, you know, like, I mean, like Macy Daly in seven and 16. Like we had a stretch from 14 through 16 where we hit on two guys, Moss and Jabo, you know, and we got to get, and we got to be better at guard and that, and that game against Oregon sh- showed it. So, you know, when I look and I see, you know, I, I Patrick Ingram, right. There's another one like, yeah. you know, cool. so you, you know, you, uh, what do we call him? Fat Pat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was before, uh, that was well, before Fat even, Pat. No, that was before, was before, yeah, that was before actual Fat Pat Reed. Here um, we go back in the golf. Jesus. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but you know, you go down through that and it's just, it's a little disheartening to look at. And then you flip the page and you see Toussaint, 293, Ulyss, 183, Perkins, 310. And and that's where I'm saying, like, you see the, the, the signs that, like, oh, wow, he can do that. Oh, he can do this. He can, you know. But as a complete player playing a lot of minutes, are they going to look more like you know, Clemens and Christian Williams? And I shouldn't put Clemens in with Christian Williams, but you know what I'm saying, like, are these yeah. guys going to be able to do it? And I think Fran's got to be honest with himself on if he really thinks these guys can. And if he really does, then roll with it and go with it and, 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 you know, go all in like, but I think you gotta find, you gotta figure out a way to recruit some better guards. Right. And, and I don't think we're going to have the success in a single elimination tournament until we recruit better guards. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, you're, it's, you're, you're um, going to be just hoping that your bracket opens up for you. Right. Um, but if you want to go far, you got to be able to beat the teams like Oregon. Uh, and, and not just, and not just have more success in the single elimination tournament to go from where we are in the big 10 conference with Fran, which is like right basically at that top half mark. Right. Like with Fran, we basically are right around five five, six, seven in the big 10 most years. Right. Um, I think he's had one double buy, right? This was the first double buy he's had was this year. Yeah. Yeah. So we're basically five, six, seven. He has a lot of top half finishes. So what do we need to do to go from top half finishes to consistently competing for the big 10 or not consistently, but occasionally competing for a big 10 conference championship. And the thing to do, the thing we have to do is recruit better guards and it doesn't have to be, out of high school. It can be Mike Smith or Sean Day Brown from the, at Michigan, right? It can be, 
you know, uh, uh, we can find other guys that in the, in the big 10 that, that work that way too. I'm sure we can go through and find other guards in the big 10 that have transferred, but, um, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's a way to do it. So I think for me, that was the thing that stuck out for me, just going back through all these numbers, the two things that stuck out were the Woodbury and Gazelle teams. Why were they so much better on defense? And, um, and the guard recruiting. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I, you know, um, sum up again, I know we talked how we're pretty consistent in Fran's era and a top 25 program. And then to your point in the big 10, I'm looking at the, the, the history on Ken Palm right now as well. You know, this year we were 14 and six, uh, those last two years with, um, Gisell and Woodbury, we were 12 and six and didn't play as many games back then. And then the rest of the time, there's nine and nine, nine and nine, 10 and eight, 10 and 10, 11 and nine, right? So we're, a, we're, and then I guess, uh, J Bo and Garza's freshman year, we were four and 14. So yeah, that, that, that team but, was terrible. Yeah. But we're, you know, we're consistently a top 25 team. We're consistently right around the 500 mark with some years where we're a little bit better. And that's fine and good. And especially thinking of where Fran had to bring us back from the college basketball abyss, but now where he's to recruited, that point, where, like right, like the talent on his team is not exactly the, with, like the, yeah. the base talent of where it's starting is not that you would see of a top twenty-five type, you know, top half of the Big Ten type team. Yeah, so we're in that point. Can we get to the next level? And uh, when you started the podcast, Steve that's Steve Alford, Steve Alford that's was we- the next level. And that's kind of what ran Dr. Tom out is in, in it was defense and in getting high quality recruits. Right. I mean, I think Dr. Tom, if we look back at some of his last years, you know, had some talent, but um, not the most athletic uh, teams that I was ever thrown on the floor, you know, um, so we'll see. We got to get more athletes and then uh, figure something out on defense, man. I don't know. I know every Iowa fan's hoping that at some point Fran maybe makes a, a staff change and brings in a defensive yeah. specialist or something. Um, but Luke Yaklich. <laughs> there you go. Bringing it back. Was he in Carver? Or? He could have been. He, him and BJ. Him and BJ. <laughs> him and BJ. Carver, Hawkeye. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if they were there to talk about the coaching situation, but I can right. confirm that they were in Carver Hawkeye Arena. <laughs> well, I mean, BJ played in Carver Hawkeye Arena, so is that what, <laughs> is that what we mean? <laughs> yeah, Yaklich was an assistant at Michigan. He's been there too. So yeah, exactly. God, that's an, that's an inside joke. I mean, I I tell you what, you know, it's it, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Brad, it's 50-50 on if we ever get to a Sweet 16 again. You know, it's 50-50. It was 50-50 so, this year, yeah, and it just like, didn't happen. The coin like didn't all things. Uh, just like all things way. in life. You either do or you don't. I mean, there is no try. So we did a pretty good job, I think, of a little rational breakdown of uh, Iowa basketball. You did which is going to be dis- which is going to be disappointing for a lot of people that we are completely rational and <laughs> I mean, people that know us probably not expecting a rational breakdown of this, right? Not at all. No, I was going to say it. Uh, yeah, it's going to be opposite of what most people are expecting, but. Uh, don't get me wrong. We were very, very disappointed with yesterday's game. I know I was, uh, I, I had to go for a little bit of a walk afterwards. 
And the reason is we have high expectations. I mean, this NCAA tournament and this Iowa Hawkeyes and this two seed, my my expectations were high. I don't think I have to uh, to tell anybody that. I, I don't have anything to add to it other than, you know, um, when I'm, I'm just kind of waiting for us to wrap up so I could tell my end of the podcast joke. But uh, but yeah, that's I think you nailed it. High, high expectations. Coach. So we'll be back. Uh, what are we looking at? Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday, Tuesday for the next round of games. Is that right? So we'll probably be back uh, taping on a Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday night. Yeah, we'll see next week what fits into our busy schedule. But as always, we appreciate all the support and uh, keep giving us that feedback. Uh, I know nobody's shy to give us those ratings, reviews, and feedback. And man, uh, we can I you know just to just to end the podcast here. I'm just like so many people from around Des Moines are telling me about Troy Aikman jerseys they're seeing. Yes. Like, I mean, people are just like there are so many people. I I I just get stopped on the street and they just be like high expectations podcast guy. Oh, I could tell by the voice. Like, and then they want to tell me a story about how they saw, you know, Troy Aikman jersey at the Iowa Tap House or at Stivers Ford or Schottenkirk Chevrolet or one guy saw him saw him at the uh, guy wearing a Troy Aikman jersey lifting weights at the Genesis Health Club. So, I mean, <laughs> this is the type of thing that, you know, our fans are excited about it. You could tell the community is just growing and coming together. So it's 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 exciting. Oh, absolutely. And, and my phone was blowing up when Loyola was was beating Illinois in the second half because, you know, they were like, you called it bubble burst and Brad, you called it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. You know, one guy who didn't nail it, the guy that was flying back from California (laughs) during the most important Iowa game in the last 20 years, that guy. That one with Zach McCabe. Ooh, biggest Iowa game in the last yeah, since 1999, and he he's getting play-by-play updates from some old lady in the row in front of him on yeah. his airplane. Yeah. I mean, come on, Jeez, we needed you. Unbelievable! I tell you what, the time and effort the rest of us put into it, only to have it broken by Bry Dog. I and had his, the house. And, his, and he made a nine on that hole out there. Like, uh, it's a par three. Get the damn ball in the green and make a couple and hit a couple putts and go on to the next one. Let's go, Bry Dog. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. I mean, yeah, he's on a plane, not even watching the game. I'm over here freaking holding down the foundation because I had the goddamn house a rocking with Stevie Ray Vaughn since like 8.30 in the morning on, uh, on Monday. But uh, wasn't enough. Should have got no, up a little earlier. Wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. So, well, let's wrap it up there. I think, uh, I, you know, if anybody's still listening, they had a lot of fun in the last five minutes. Might not have had as much fun while we were breaking things down. But uh, that's what we do. The good stuff at the end, folks. Keep you saving listening. The, saving the best for last. Well, good breakdown. We'll be back uh, next episode to uh, talk Final Four. Uh, the, yeah. the tournaments in full swing and, uh, we'll and break yeah. down the world match play too. You know, we'll have a winner at that point. So we'll break that down. Absolutely. That's what the people want. That's what the people want. That's what <laughs> we give. We give the people what they want. Well, thanks Drewski. Enjoy the rest of your week and uh, enjoy the basketball this upcoming weekend. Take it easy. We'll see you later. <laughs>